Uh, the scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syncate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Perhaps the worst part of her asking me how to pronounce those is I had an extra C in my head for syntyche. I've always said syntyche. I'm 42. I preached on Philippians for the first time like 15 years ago, and I guarantee I mispronounced it. And 10 minutes ago, I was like, there's no C. Is that my Midwestern accent? Is that what it is? Do we not? No one knows? Okay. Obviously, none of this is in my notes. I know you all have a busy schedule. I'll get to it. This is a very humbling week for me. I've known uh, for a number of months what I'm preaching on, and um, 
and I had some personal interactions with people who live across the country, and uh, one of our elders, Dave Simpson, is a little is sick right now, and a number of us are visiting with him and learning how to care for him, and I'm thinking about the importance of spiritual friendship and the importance of preaching it as part of our vision, and this is the title for the sermon that I came up with because there's a way that I think about titles, and the reality is it actually is incredibly challenging. So this is supposed to be some kind of a teaser for the importance of spiritual friendship as part of our vision. Perhaps you noticed on the cover of your bulletin, Vision 2020 crossed out. Perhaps you're familiar enough with my personality to know that I just can't, I'm not that guy. I can't be like, we're gonna have 2020 vision because of our church vision. Who's coming with me? You know, it's just so I, you know, it's in our artwork crossed out. And yet at the same time, Church vision is supposed to be not only a guide to who we are and whose we are and what we do, it's also supposed to be a guide to how do we flourish in a world bent and broken by the curse and sin and fragmentation and relationship challenges. How do we flourish? So I'm hoping that our vision gives you a picture of how you can heal and to be present and enjoy the grace and the mercy of God purchased for you through the work of Jesus Christ and become more fully who you are in him. And yet I'm challenged by this week because very frankly, if you listen to me and you do what I ask you to do, some of you are gonna leave the church because I'm gonna nudge you towards risking in community with imperfect humans and many of you already have community, and so you're like, oh, good, I'll just, it's just going to be an encouragement Sunday, and that's relatively true. Some of you are not in community, and you're not going to regardless, but some of you are going to risk because I'm going to encourage you to. I'm going to say that word a lot because friendship is risky, especially spiritual friendship. And the New Testament not only commands it, but I think even more profoundly implies it. I mean, do you see that in Philippians 4? All these beautiful promises about prayer about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, perhaps the most tattooed verse in the Bible and probably the most taken out of context. My God will supply all of your riches, all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, these beautiful promises. And next to them, the full assumption that the person reading the letter would help Yodia and Syntyche get along. What was it like to sit there? I always wonder how far away they were sitting. You know, it was a house church. There were probably 40 people. And in the midst of these glorious promises of God, it's also a church that's supposed to learn how to do community and spiritual friendship. And so we, in the midst of hearing about the promises of God and how he loves us and we can cast our cares on him, also hear about the mundane realities of this probably 40-person church, probably meeting in Lydia's house, and they want Clement, and Epaphroditus, and Yodia, and Syntyche, and whoever was reading the letter to help one another get along, especially those two women. And it's because our one anothering is part of the kingdom. And I know that, uh, I'm getting used to holding this. I didn't always hold this. That's the clicker, if you were wondering our one anothering, our moving towards one another in spiritual friendship is, is something that's gonna make us nervous. And many of you have no interest in it because you are tired. And you're tired for legitimate reasons. You're tired relationally because you've tried, it didn't go well. You're tired because you have a job 
and you work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, when are you going to make or develop more fully friendships, especially in the church? And yet my hope is that we not only attend this church but engage it in each of our moves of vision, worship, which is both any decision we make in following Christ throughout the week, but also corporate worship. I hope that you get involved, teaching our kids, ushering, singing. Perhaps you would like the pulpit. That's a longer conversation, but it could happen. I hope that you engage at least once or twice or three times a year with what's happening here. And more specific to this uh, sermon, I want you to engage in spiritual community. I want you to take one step closer to spiritual friendship with the imperfect mess that is this local gathering. We have a lot of ways to do that. I trust that you'll look into it depending on how compelling the next 20 minutes are. But I want to be really clear that the New Testament is shockingly clear that if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to do spiritual friendship with the people of your local church. You are called to learn to praise next to these people, to learn to caution them. Anyone ever cautioned you and you received it as love because you knew that they, were, that they were for you? What a glorious moment. You are called to celebrate with some of these people whenever there's something worth celebrating. You're called to laugh with them. I snort when I laugh. And I didn't before I moved here. (laughs) And there are two people in the room that are entirely responsible for that. (laughs) Have you ever been called out by somebody? Cautioned you on something? I was called out a couple of weeks ago by somebody for a family situation and I felt defensive and then someone else said the exact same thing to me a couple days later. And I was like, ugh. But I know they're for me. This is my definition of spiritual friendship, by the way. Perhaps too short, perhaps too trite. Certainly not the only thing to be said about spiritual friendship, but we know that they're for us. Their bottom line of being for us is the gospel, but then they're for us in our story. If you're a part of this local gathering, you will be called upon to sit with someone in silence when they're in a rough season. Sometimes there aren't good words. You know that, right? Anyone ever sat with you silently and you knew that they were for you? If you're a follower of Jesus, that's part of your calling is to do and to learn to do spiritual friendship here. The New Testament knows that you need it on a daily basis and yet when we've been in a pinch... We've really sensed our need for it. Maybe you don't feel your need for it, so this will just be an intellectual exercise for you. One of my friends who's struggling lives in Seattle, and when my wife was sick, he flew out here twice, once with an acute need and once to to make sure we got a couple of meals together. I will never forget that. Our one-anothering is bomb, isn't it? Because we know that we want to be known. We know that we want to be seen in, in part. We know that we want to be loved. And yet as I say that, what pops up? Anger, maybe. 
because someone who knew you hurt you. Fear, because you know if you move towards someone and let them get to know you, they can hurt you. The more someone knows about you, the riskier it is. Maybe it's shame because it didn't go well before. You actually took a risk and sent the text saying, can we get coffee this week? And they didn't even respond. And you eviscerated their character, right? Because that's what we do when we don't get a text back. And I think the main thing that comes up if we can admit, in the moments where we connect to our true heart, where we know that we long to be known and loved by God, but also by the spiritual community he created for us through friendship, I think the main thing that comes up is fatigue because you've tried and you've been burned or you've tried and it it didn't turn into anything. You risked and the other person didn't move towards you. And it is risky to accept love. C.S. Lewis describes this beautifully in The Four Loves. You can survive without spiritual friendship. Those are my words, not his. His are way more compelling, Englishy, you know. They are, aren't they English? Is that, sorry. You can actually do without love, without spiritual friendship, but you will not flourish without it. And I think you know that, and that's why there are some emotions as I talk about this. And I'm trying to both validate those emotions and convince you that the New Testament has no category for faith that is alone with respect to community. None. Every Y-O-U statement in all of Paul's letters is plural. Everyone. I checked. When I was an assistant pastor and had far more time than a lead pastor, spent an afternoon checking. True story. Work out your own salvation is y'all's own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm from Oklahoma. Get over it. You'll be fine. You can survive without spiritual friendship, but you will not flourish. My uh, wife shared with me an equation for friendship that I thought sounded really wise, and then I heard it repeated in the New York Times, and I was like, I knew she was smart. <laughs> and her, that equation is prayer, the New York Times didn't include prayer, but prayer plus time plus intention plus risk. That's what we have to do to give and to receive friendship. Prayer, time, intention, risk. And for her, this is part of the prayer. For me, I I need more categories. I'm gonna add wisdom to that. When we were planting uh, Riverside Church in in St. Louis, the church that she and I attended for uh, her 11 and me 12 years, you know, everyone was 27 and young and had time and energy and we wanted to know each other's stories and we had small groups for everybody and it was amazing, we thought, and... Um, when, we would, when we would get into what we called house groups with people, everybody would share their story and we start these house groups and like you, the third one you go to, someone would share for like 90 minutes. Like all the things. And we learned over time like maybe not all the things right away. Maybe like 10 or 20 minutes after you've been together for six or nine months. Which is what I would recommend for our men's and women's groups and our small groups. We do want to get to know one another, but there's a wisdom component, right? And if you're like me, like you're gonna share all the things maybe a little too quickly and that gives you a false sense of intimacy and then you leave the relationship and you're like, oh man, 
Why did I tell him all that stuff? Maybe you're not wired like me and you need to, to know that there is wise risk in every true friendship and especially in spiritual friendship. And I know that putting that equation together is tough. Prayer plus time plus intention plus risk. And I also know that you will not flourish as a follower of Christ without it. And there are antagonists to this everywhere. I know you don't have time. I know that you with children did not sit down in September and think, let's let our kids' schedule dominate our lives. That would be such a great year. And yet that's what happens. None of us mean to do it. And then suddenly we're driving literally all over the state of Connecticut for these things that they only kind of want to do. Or maybe they really want to do them. Maybe I'm speaking too specifically. (laughs) There are antagonists to spiritual friendship everywhere, and I'll talk about it more later. One of the most interesting ones is extended family. When you develop good, solid spiritual friendships, oftentimes your siblings or your parents or perhaps your adult children will be a little jealous, and that's, that's actually okay. Jealousy in and of itself is not a sin. They long to be close to you also, and one of the things that happens in families is as children grow up and as siblings grow up, they still remember the stories from when they were nine, but their friendships haven't turned into mature friendships. Sometimes they have. It's beautiful. Um, but oftentimes they haven't, and then you have this rich friendship, and your family looks on, and there's, there's some disorientation there. It's because the families need to grow into that also if they can. There are antagonists everywhere. Some of you work 70 hours a week, some more than that, and I know that that's the reality for some jobs. I hate it for you, but that's the reality. If you want the electricity to be on and food to be on the table and the roof to be intact, Well, if you're working 70 hours a week, it's going to be more challenging to extend towards spiritual friendship and to receive it back in return. I get that. I do. It's a legitimate equation, and you have got to figure it out because you will not flourish without people in your life that are willing to praise and caution and celebrate with and laugh and call out and be silent with you. And our one anothering is not only bomb, it's subversion. You know, the, the world <sighs> let me say it this way. Your calling into what looks like regular friendship, though spiritual friendship is anything but, is rare, and it's part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a lonely place. And that's not only because Jesus, through his powerful work on the gospel, I'm pointing at the cross imperfectly. By the way, that's why I'm holding my hand up. Jesus not only reconciles us to God through his work, he also gives us a community so that we know that we're not alone. Your calling as a follower of Jesus is into spiritual friendship because we are naturally lonely. That's perhaps the swiftest definition of the effects of the fall, loneliness. And we know it matters. You've seen community done poorly, right? I was in junior high and uh, there were 25 of us in my sixth grade class. Five girls, one of them was my sister. 20 guys, not a great ratio for me. And there was a, a young woman who's new to the school and she told us all that 
one of the new kids on the block was her cousin. You guys remember the new kids on the block? Can we call them a boy band? Is it 280s or are they a boy band? Can I get a crowdsourcing on this? Yes, no. Okay, yes, boy band, okay. And at the time, boy bands were new. We were like, wow, that's amazing. Well, we found out within seven days that she made that up. And we weren't exceptionally mean, but she heard about it all seven years. And that still bothers me. I'm still sad. When I saw her at a reunion, I made sure that we talked for a while, and I made sure I did not bring that up. We know that bad community harms. And we know that good community is such balm to our soul and such subversion of what the world, in its, because it has been affected by the curse, does. What the world encourages us towards is more stuff. And what the scripture says is your heart will come alive through generosity. The world would encourage us to get more likes on social media and yet when we're suffering, what we need is someone to sit with us in spiritual friendship. The world would encourage us that we need more savings to retire and we know that we need good friends who will show up. And I know those things aren't opposed to one another, but you know what I'm talking about. The world attempts to convince us what we need to have to be happy and yet... (laughs) In our times of suffering, none of that mattered. When I was very sick over 10 years ago, I remember my pastor at the time saying to me, lesser affections will fade. And he was right. And I can tell you the name of every person that came and visited me in the hospital and brought me lunch. The world will tell you you need more promotions at work because you need more money and many of you are gifted and go ahead and go for that promotion and yet you also need someone who will sit with you in friendship. The world tells you you need more vacations and you do because vacations are awesome but you also need a stable body of people that are for you in spiritual friendship. Dave Simpson, our elder who is in the hospital right now, has no family Uh, anywhere near. He has a distant cousin in Kansas and he's had no less than 10 people from this church visit him. And we're not, we don't do great in those visits. We actually had to have a meeting after the nine o'clock service because the visits weren't all (laughs) happening well, you know. We're, We're figuring it out. But he has spiritual family here. Our one anothering Our movements towards one another are not only bomb and subversion to what the world would distract us from, it's also evangelism. How we do life is part of how we actually tell people about Jesus. You know, for me, because I work here, people know why I come every Sunday, but for you, they're going to wonder. And they're going to ask why you sing. And perhaps you'll come up with a terrific metaphor like it's kind of the same reason we sing at baseball games. We're singing about things we care about and celebrate. Perhaps you'll talk about how important it is to your heart to remember the promises of God. But also how you treat one another in this imperfect spiritual community. How we do spiritual friendship is how we proclaim that God not only loves us and has reconciled us to himself, but calls us to be in friendship with one another especially in times of suffering. And we get to bring meals to one another, sit with one another, pray with one another. This is part of how we tell people 
about the good news of God. I think about all of the questions that I would like a more specific answer from God about, be it evangelism or the dinosaurs or something like that. And then I look at the book of Philippians and there are these beautiful promises alongside the mundane details of the fact that Yodia wouldn't sit over here with Syntyche because they were having trouble. And Paul didn't make light of it. He said, faithful companion, help him out. And he's also thanking them because they had been providing for him financially. So all these mundane details because the church has to figure these things out with our sins and our limits and our nobilities. Philippians 4.13 is taken out of context and misquoted in the context of it, which is part of the reason I wanted all 23 verses read. What does it actually mean? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Contextually, It means you can do all the things in front of you this week because of the grace of Jesus and because of the support of one another. Verse 19 doesn't mean you're going to be super wealthy. It means that because of Christ and oftentimes through the gathering of saints, you will receive his true riches which is knowing the peace of him that surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4 is so beautifully profound and so mundane in detail. My, uh, fa- one of my favorite professors at Covenant Seminary, his name is Jerem Bars. And he's a very, very kind sweet-tempered man who will also say hard things. He once told a student, if I were a dragon, I'd breathe fire on you. But he's also, true story, and the student deserved it. Everyone agreed, except the student. He was once taking his uh, wife car shopping and at an extended time at a car lot, the car salesman asked him, what is it that's different about you? And what was happening was the way he was treating his wife led the man to want to know what was inside of his mind and his heart. My wife and I have probably been shopping a thousand times together. No one's ever asked me that. (laughs) And no one's ever asked her that either. (laughs) As far as I know. And the reason I tell you that story is that is a, a picture of what the stability of community because of the grace of Jesus grows us into are people that actually love one another, be it spouse or fellow church member or someone that you serve with or someone in your Bible study or small group, we're actually being grown into a stability of soul and a care for one another that is not only a bomb to us, not only is a subversion to the powers of the world that still exist, it's also part of how we present the grace and mercy and gospel of God to the world. And it comes about because of the Holy Spirit and in community. I hope that you'll take a risk this year into our community. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, your promises are so good that we can cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. That the peace of Your son Jesus will guard our hearts and our minds. 
that your grace is sufficient and good. And all of that is sweet to us, Lord, and you also encourage us to enjoy it in community. Would you help us? Would you give us wisdom and patience as we pursue spiritual friendship with one another? For those who are receiving it now, would you encourage them? For those that are lonely for it now, would you come alongside them and guide them and guide us? Would you help us know how to take one step closer to good spiritual friendship because of your promises that we are indeed standing on? Amen.